Again, I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18. After a month off, we're headed back into the Gospel of Matthew and picking up where we left off at the end of March with chapter 18, verse 1. Our sermon series is called Following Jesus because that's what Matthew was all about. The Gospel of Matthew is about answering the question, Who is Jesus? And then when you find out the real answer to that question, your next question is, how can I follow him? The Gospel of Matthew is a theological biography of Jesus Christ, the most compelling person who ever lived. We've reached chapter 18 in the Gospel of Matthew, which marks the beginning of the fourth of five major blocks of teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. Can anybody remember what the first major block of teaching was? The Sermon on the Mount. The second was Jesus' teaching on missions. The third was the parables of the kingdom. And now we've reached the fourth major block of teaching, which seems to be mostly about living as Jesus' disciples in community with one another. Following Jesus as part of His new called-out fellowship. This is a teaching about relationships and obedience. And today it's about what Jesus calls these little ones. Jesus keeps using that phrase over and over again in the first 14 verses of chapter 18. These little ones. Let me tell you right off, Jesus feels strongly about these people whom He calls these little ones. Though you might be surprised to find out who they are. There are a lot of surprises in today's passage. The first surprise was for the disciples who wanted to know which of them was the goat, right? Everybody know what these letters stand for? It's not the, the animal that, that uh, eats the clothes off the, laundry, off the line. What does, what does G-O-A-T stand for? Greatest of all time, right? Sports fans are always arguing about this, right? Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Or maybe Wilt Chamberlain, right? Jack Nicholas or comeback kid Tiger Woods? Tom Brady, or nobody's even close. I knew I'd get you with that one. I vote for Bernie Kosar. We don't just fight over goat in sports. We do that with movies as well. Some are saying that Avengers Endgame is the goat for superhero movies. I enjoyed it a lot, but I don't know about greatest of all time. We argue about whether lots of things are great or are the greatest of all time? Well, the disciples were wondering, who was the goat of the kingdom of heaven? And the Gospel of Mark tells us that they had been arguing with each other about which of them it was. Not just who is it, but which of us is it? Jesus, tell, of us, tell us which one of us is the greatest of all time. I mean, it's one of us, right? I mean, we're your 12 disciples, right? You handpicked us. We're part of the the original dream team, it's, there are going to be 12 thrones, right? And you're on the top throne, of course, but who will be at your right hand? We just learned about this in Sunday school this morning. For those of you who are in Sunday school, right? Look at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They weren't asking about anything little, were they? How do you think Jesus is going to answer that question? Let's pray first, and then, then we'll see. Let's pray together. Father, 
Thank you for all of what we've sung today. Who are we that the highest king would ransom us? Redeemed how we love to proclaim it. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, and it's made all the difference. We are loved and you have reserved a place for us. In our Father's house are many rooms. And you, you went to prepare a place for us so that we could be where you are. And we're longing for that, the other side of the Jordan. We're not there yet, but we're longing for that. Lord, we've sung glorious truth. Now, Lord, help us to see glorious truth about who is the greatest and how to be like that. And, and the other things that this, this passage is supposed to do to us. Lord, work in us that which is pleasing in your sight. Do something to us this morning because we've encountered you in your word. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. No, they weren't asking about anything little. Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I don't know what they expected to hear. I know how our world defines greatness. How many followers do you have? Right? What have you accomplished? How many wins have you racked up? How much money have you earned? How many possessions do you have? What is your status? What is your reputation? How famous are you? How much power do you yield? These are the kind of markers we look for in the great. And it was similar back then. The disciples probably had a similar idea of what greatness was. But Jesus' idea was very different. They were asking about the kingdom. Good. Jesus' favorite thing to talk about, the kingdom of heaven. But they'd forgotten that Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom, right? Look at verse 2. He called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, you want a picture of greatness? Greatness looks like this. This is what greatness looks like, right here. Now this is actually a shocking thing for Jesus to say. We're used to it, we've heard it before, so we aren't shocked, but we should be. We don't understand how shocking this is because we live in a society that values children in many ways because Jesus did. Society downstream has valued children more. And in fact, sometimes we overvalue children. Some people's lives center around keeping children happy. You might call it kid-centric. But that's not what it was like in Jesus' day. Yes, parents love their children. That's always been true. But society didn't love or respect children. Children had no power. Children had virtually no rights. Is this a picture of status? Is this a picture of someone with millions of followers? Great accomplishments. Lots of money and possessions. Is this a picture of power? No, but this is a picture of greatness. What greatness is. Listen to verse 3 again. He called a little child and had him stand among them and he said, 
I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, notice the simile, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Next slide, Dalton. Become like these little ones. If you don't, you won't even get into the kingdom of heaven, much less be the greatest in it. Now don't get Jesus wrong here. There are ways in which we are supposed to be like a child and ways we're not supposed to be like this child he calls forward. He's not saying that we're supposed to be childish, right? That one would be easy for me. Unfortunately, that's not the one we're supposed to do. He's not saying we're supposed to be immature or naive. He's not saying that we're supposed to be innocent or sinless. Children are not innocent or sinless or perfectly pure. Here's what children are. They were then and they are today. They are dependent. They're lowly. They're powerless. They're defenseless. They're vulnerable. They're needy, right? Yeah. Needy. Children are humble. It's bound up in being a child. Place of humility. Let me ask you, what was the name of this child that Jesus called forth and stood among their midst? We don't know, right? The Bible doesn't say. He was just some kid. And Jesus says in verse 4, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this nameless, little, forgettable, powerless, vulnerable, needy, lowly child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says we must humble ourselves. That's hard to do. Needy. (laughs) It's hard to do to humble ourselves, isn't it? It's especially hard to do if you are busy arguing about how great you are. I love that sound, by the way. Amen. Amen. There's life in the church when there's babies crying during the sermon. It's especially hard to be humble to do if you're busy arguing about how great you are. Because it's not natural. That's why Jesus says in verse 3 here that we have to change and become like little children. He's calling us to change. He's calling us to become. It requires change, and that requires God's help. Our job is to humble ourselves. Have you done that? Have you become like one of these little dependent children? Some people think that believing in Jesus is a crutch. But believing in Jesus is more than a crutch. It's a stretcher. It's being carried by Jesus, trusting in Him, putting all of your weight on Him. Is there a more beautiful picture than that right there? Little girl, right? What's her name? Riley? That's a beautiful picture. Jesus says, be like Riley. Is Riley impressive? No. But she's being held. She's being carried. Jesus says, be like Riley. 
Be carried by Jesus. Trusting in Him. Putting all of your weight on Him. Jesus says we've got to become like that. You want to be great? Be like that kid. We have to humble ourselves. Just to get into the kingdom. You think of like the kingdom, like the door, sometimes we think the door of the kingdom is narrow. Think of it like an Indiana Jones kind of narrow. Where you've got to stoop to get in and under. You've got to go low. Becoming a Christian is a humbling experience. The proud don't make it. You have to say that you can't do it on your own and you need what Jesus did for you on the cross or you are toast and you know that you don't deserve it. Salvation. That kind of honest, that kind of honesty and humility does not come easily for people like you and me. But we have to become like these little ones. We have to trust and become vulnerable and ask for help. And we have to keep growing in that humility. Are you and I growing in humility? Yeah, okay, that's how we got into the kingdom. But now we're kind of like, you know, beef up. You know, become somebody. Is there anyone in your life that you would say you are currently? Was there anyone in your life who would say of you that you are currently growing in humility? You're more childlike in your faith. You're more childlike in your own self-assessment. You're more childlike in your dependence. If not, then you'll never be the greatest. Because the kingdom is upside down. Remember who is the goat for humility, right? We studied in Sunday school this, right? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Philippians 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made Himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Did He just come as a man? Lower than that, right? But Mary, Mary held Him. He came as a child. He humbled Himself and then he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's the goat right there. Therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's the path. Humility is the path to greatness. That's how it always is in the kingdom. Humility is the path to greatness. There's no other way to get in, and there's no other way to become great. Number two, welcome these little ones. In verse 5, Jesus takes this discussion into a, a little bit of a different lane. He signals the lane change, and then he turns it. Right? He's still talking about the same thing. He's still on the same road, but now it's a little different. Look at verse 5. And, he says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, I'm not sure if that little child like this is the little guy that Jesus has standing in their midst. Or, you know, like the little object lesson guy. 
or if Jesus means any follower of his who has humbled themselves and become like this child. I asked my family about that last night at dinner, and Andrew said, well, why can't it be both? I think that's, that's probably true. Maybe it can be. So if you welcome a little child, a little vulnerable, dependent, powerless child in the name of Jesus, amazingly, you welcome Jesus. That's something, isn't it? Wow. Just think about that. That should say something to our children's ministries workers. The folks back there in the nursery, as they welcome each little one coming in at sermon time. Folks back there in our children's church, the early learners and the Bible explorers. Wednesday night, the ABC kids and the Kids for Christ. A couple times a month, our Mops kids. When you get down on one knee and you warmly welcome a child in the name of Jesus, you're welcoming Jesus. When we are so happy to have a Riley among us, we're welcoming Jesus. We're so happy about Anna over there. We're welcoming Jesus. Of course, it's, it's bigger, not smaller, if Jesus means every single follower of his who has humbled themselves like this little child. If you receive a humble disciple in the name of Jesus, you're welcoming Jesus. Because Jesus cares about his little ones. But here's the flip side. If you harm one of these little ones, you're in big trouble. Number three, don't harm these little ones. Look at verse six. But, now he flips it. But, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it will be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. These are very strong words. They're a warning. This is Jesus talking here. Sometimes we're like, Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus is meek, but he isn't mild. Jesus is strong. This is a warning from Jesus to all who need to hear it. Do not harm these little ones. It's hard not to think here about the horror of child abuse. If Jesus loves the little children and you or or I hurt the little children, then we can expect to be hurt ourselves. But but notice in verse 6 exactly who these little ones are. Jesus calls them these little ones who believe in me. So I actually think he's talking about all of us who have humbled ourselves to become his followers. Weak, dependent, like children, spiritual children, disciples. He's talking about us in this room. Don't harm them. Don't harm us. And the harm he's talking about here specifically is leading others into sin. Being a stumbling block for them, tempting them. Tempting them to sin. Tempting them to apostasy. Tempting them to stop following Jesus. If you or I or anybody tries to lead vulnerable little disciples away from following Jesus, Jesus will get very mad about it. 
He issues two warning woes. Look at verse 7. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Judgment is on the way. It may not seem like it, but it is inevitable. Woe to the world for the evil that is at work in the world. But woe even more to the people who are working the evil. Woe to anyone who causes one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to sin. If you're tempted to go down that route, then you must take drastic action to stop yourself. Verse 8. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Again, that's Jesus. Let's not domesticate Jesus. Jesus has already spoken like this in the Gospel of Matthew, remember, from the Sermon on the Mount? Right Then he was talking specifically about lust. Here, it could be just about any sin, including the sin of pride, which he's been talking about since the beginning of the chapter. Some scholars think this is talking about church discipline and excommunication. The body here would be like Paul's metaphor of the body. That's possible. Jesus is going to teach on church discipline in just a few verses. We'll look at it next week. He could be saying that we need to take drastic action to make sure that those who would harm the little ones are cut off, excluded. But I think it's more likely that he's saying that we all personally need to take drastic action, whatever it takes, to make sure we don't become the kind of people who harm the little ones, who turn disciples into non-disciples, who lead other disciples into sin and apostasy. No, we're not going there. No way, no how, whatever it takes, we'll keep ourselves from going there. Now, of course, Jesus is using hyperbole and exaggeration because literally cutting off your foot or hand or eye will not cut out your sin, right? The heart issue. That's got to be a metaphor for intense repentance and doing whatever it takes to resist temptation. But that doesn't make it any less serious. The warning is death by drowning would be better. Would be better. Right? The warning is it'd be better to maim yourself than to burn in hell. Don't harm these little ones. And don't hate these little ones either. Number four, don't hate these little ones. Look at verse 10. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. That word translated look down means to despise or to hold in contempt. Jesus is still warning anyone who needs to hear it that he cares deeply and indisputably about these little ones. He loves them. He loves us, His little children. And if He loves the little ones, then we shouldn't hate them. He says that these little ones have personal 
angels. You see that? They're angels. Now, I don't know if that means guardian angels like we tend to think of, and whether it's one for one, like one angel per, per, per believer. It says here that the angels are in heaven, not on earth. But he says that their angels always see the face of my Father in heaven. Jesus' Father in heaven. That's God the Father. These angels have access to the Father, so you don't want to sin against these little ones, or their angels will tell the Father. That's what it's saying. That's how great these little ones are. They have personal angels who speak to God on their behalf when they're sinned against. I think these little ones are you and me. If we've humbled ourselves and become like a little child, do you feel like a nobody? That's okay. It's probably good. But just know that nobodies are greatly loved by the great somebody. Don't hate these little little ones. Don't hate these nobodies. They are loved by God. So if one of them kind of wanders off, what then? Does God just say, well, uh, oh well, i got a bunch of others. In verse 12, Jesus offers a thought experiment. And with this we'll close. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? You might guess no. Because you've got to keep the ninety-nine safe. But the answer is actually yes, at least this kind of a shepherd. It's a rhetorical question about love. And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep restored to the fold than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven, not just Jesus' Father, but your Father in heaven, is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Again, I think these little ones are, in this context, ultimately true disciples. Trusting followers. You and I, if we've humbled ourselves and become like a little child, what if we begin to wander? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We, we all do. What then? This is like Jesus' story about the lost sheep in Luke 15, which then is like the, after that's the lost coin and then the lost son. But there it's talking about lost people, pre-Christians, non-Christians. Here in Matthew 18, he's talking about these little ones, true disciples who begin to lose their way. What about them? How does the Father feel about them? What does he do? Hear this. Your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. He goes after all of his true children and he makes sure that they get home. That is so precious. We call that the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And we sing about it in songs like, He will hold me fast. Of course, He uses us all to help do that. 
If the good shepherd goes after the wayward sheep, we should do the same. Galatians 6.1, Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. James 5.19 says, My brothers, if any one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. God loves these little ones and goes after them and so should we. We're on God's search and rescue team. Don't hate these little ones. Even if they wander, don't give up on them. Don't write them off. Go after them. Love them like you would want to be loved if you're the one that was wandering. And one day you might be. This is so different from how the world works, isn't it? We're called to an upside-down kingdom where nobodies are greatly loved by the great somebody. So we must become like these little ones welcome these little ones and not harm these little ones and not hate these little ones but love these little ones because Jesus loves us. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for addressing us, telling us what we need to hear. Lord, I pray for anybody here who has not yet humbled themselves and entered the kingdom, that they would do so now. They would stoop, give up their pride and their sin and their solutions to their life's problems. And say, you've got to pick me up, Jesus. I can't do it. You've got to carry me. You've got to do it for me. I'm like, a, I'm like a kid. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. And coming back to give us life. We trust in you. Lord, make us... Help us to see people the way this passage tells us to see people and to treat them the way this passage tells us to treat them. That the path to glory is through humility. And because of that, we need to welcome the humble, the little ones, in Jesus' name. And do whatever it takes to not harm them. To not look down on them or discount them or write them off. And that's true for the little ones, like literally kids. It's true for all of us who are like the child. Help us to not harm each other. Lead each other into sin. Or give up on each other, but instead go after each other in love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.